This is exactly right. Welcome to My Favorite Murder. We have an announcement to make. We are so excited to tell you we're going to take a break for the summer. <laughs> we're going to go on a small vacation. After five years. <laughs> yes, an actual an actual vacation. We appreciate your support in advance. It is much needed. We're just we've been podcasting through a pandemic and uh, we're done doing that for a little <laughs> while. So we're going to take a summer vacation. Yeah. You guys have been actually telling us to do this <laughs> through thick and thin. You guys have been like, take a break. So uh, we hope you have a great summer. We're going to take a little time to ourselves and we will see you back here um, pretty soon. And yeah. until that time, stay sexy and don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. What's, What's up, Detroit? Detroit? <laughs> Yay! Holy shit. Did everybody come? <laughs> this is crazy. Mitten murderinos. <laughs> wow. Yay! Oh my god. <sighs> <laughs> This is the first place anyone ever gave us red flags. Yes. Right? The original red flag. So city. smart. Because now we demand them. And, and if there, we don't get them, we're real mean about it. There was a lady that we met at the meet and greet, and she came through with one that was like really nice felt or something and hand stitched. And I fucking grabbed it out of her hand. <laughs> and she was like, I'm not giving that to you. It's, I just brought it. I made her give it to me. I made her give it to me. I forced her into it. Oh, this wow. is the most beautiful theater we've this is... ever done. Historic. Some might say historic. Yeah. You know you're up for a treat when you walk in backstage and there's just a giant photo of Liza Minnelli oh, back there. Oh, shit. Like, yeah. It's on. It's scrapping. That's why we have to get that song and dance done. <laughs> Damn it. We keep talking it. about it, but really, right now there should be a spotlight. We get like this. <laughs> we tear our dumb dresses off. <laughs> Just wearing weird kick pants. <laughs> what if we tear our dresses off and, and you're wearing this dress under that? <laughs> and I'm wearing Ooh. this dress under that. Yes. And it just keeps going on and on for three hours. We should not be working out these ideas in oh, front of oh, the audience. Right. Shit, Steven, they will not be surprised. Take a note of those. Yeah, please cut that out. Steven! Steven! This is Steven's flag! <laughs> because it's green like a dinosaur. Aww. Oh my god, there's fucking ushers in actual suits. <laughs> Are you see, or did they just come dressed like that? Okay. He might be an audience member. I don't know. Then he Do pulls like his Martin? suit off and he has half my dress <laughs> and half your dress on. Start spreading the news. <laughs> High five. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's what I got into this business for. Yes. Interactive theater. <laughs> Okay, we'll put this. We'll put this in Steven's pile. 
<laughs> that we forget backstage. No, he's not here tonight, though. Sorry, you guys. No. We know. He's sent us. He, he's been. He's been texting. We know. We know. He's um, been texting us today, though, from uh, uh, Niagara, Niagara Falls. Falls. He found. Yeah, there's a there's a Margaritaville in Niagara Falls that Stephen found. I'm not kidding. It was like 11:30 this morning <laughs> when he was like, "Guys, there's a Margaritaville." And then I think he got drunk and started texting us because it was like, Did you, they have poutine here? And you're like, you're in Canada, Stephen. Of course they have a poutine. Steven. It's not in Canada. What? <laughs> yes, is it is. Niagara Falls. One side of it is. It's both. Oh, fucking thank God. <laughs> <sighs> I was like, they're I about to kill too. me. They're, they're about to kill me live on stage. Did you hear me? I'm going to have to jump on that guy's back and... <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Emergency exit style. <laughs> I said, Stephen was like, the, they should, uh, no, Stephen said, I'm going to get really drunk and then go over the falls in a barrel. And I said, if that Margaritaville doesn't serve their drinks in barrels, they're doing something wrong. So wouldn't you drink so many more? Yes. Like if Moscow it's an Mules? Anything cute. A little barrel with like a lady in it? Come on. <laughs> I love that. And if you swallow the lady, it's good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and you start to hallucinate and shit. Because the, the lady's made of acid? That's right. Um, and then... <laughs> and then he sent us a photo of him in front of Niagara Falls, and I said, oh, I hope you put a tarp on your mustache, yeah. which I thought was hilarious, but neither of them reacted to it. No. Don't you hate that? At that point, I was like, I don't feel like talking to Steven anymore. <laughs> And I don't have to. I yeah. pay him. <laughs> Just kidding. I actually really have to every day. Oh, this is my favorite murder of the podcast. Hi. Thank you. Hey. This is Karen Kilgarev. Thank you. This is Georgia Hardstar. You may recognize her. That's Eminem, everybody. Eminem is here. <laughs> Marshall Mathers just arrived, front row. He pulls off his dress and what's <laughs> underneath it? Kim Basinger. Yeah. Oh, right. I get it. Because, okay. Yeah, his, drug, his drug-addled mother I from see. the film 8 Mile. I, I got it. Keep up. It keep was up. a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm there with you. Um, 100%. Oh, this, you might know this already, but this, we have an official announcement for the, uh, for the podcast. Um, Going forward, SSDGM now stands for... Did you hear? It's a major change. It's a major change. You got to get with it. Get hip to God. And High five the Lord. Yep. Uh, this is one of the best stories we've ever heard. A woman is walking... Uh, I can't remember. I want to say the airport, but that's where we were. And uh, so that's, that's how my brain works. They were all right next to me when it happened. Um, she sees a woman with an SSDGM shirt. So she runs up and goes, are you a murderino? As you're supposed to do. You just scream it. <laughs> As you all well know. And the woman is like, I don't know. She said, the, the post said she looked at me like I had 45 heads. <laughs> And then the woman tells her, I don't know what you're talking about. My daughter said that this stood for stay saved, do God's missions. <laughs> Best daughter ever. Who is that girl? Who, Who is, is she? she? 
She's our new best friend. We must find her. She's replacing Steven. She's a super genius. Oh my God. Lying to your mother is my favorite party trick. It's so good. There's something in that too where it's like, um, Mom, I need to borrow the car. Yeah. You said you wanted to borrow one of my shirts. I can't, that part doesn't work yet, but I'm going to make it work. Yeah. And then, but the justification is she had to use Christ <laughs> to trick her mother into wearing one of our shirts. It's a good little, like, do you ever do things like when you were a kid that they'll never know about? And it's just like a fuck you to your parents. <laughs> like I was setting the table once and I like, I think I licked my mom's fork and then put it on her place. <laughs> well, now you, yeah, there little, you go. A burst of power. Just, just a little. You. you take that power. If you can. That's right. I drove the car uh, when I was 12. That's what I did. I just, <laughs> my parents went away for the weekend and my sister started crying. She's like, you can't do it. And I'm like, I'm going oh to do it. Oh my God. And I drove the Volvo like half a block <laughs> and only then realized, oh, I have to figure out how to turn it around <laughs> and get it back to the house. I have that dream all the time where I can't steer a car. It's just exactly like that. It's, yeah, I lived it. <laughs> it's so intense in real life. <laughs> tell, tell us about your outfit. Oh. If you feel like it. Oh, this. This old thing sponsored by Land's End. <laughs> um, I, I bought this dress. Uh, well, first I'll tell you this. <laughs> I thought I'd be responsible and finally go replace the Spanx tights I've been wearing for what seems like 10 years. <laughs> My tour tights, I like to call them. Mm-hmm. Just wash them and throw them in the drawer. Keep on oh, pulling them out over and over. wash them, though. Well, let's be. that's a key element. But <laughs> I finally was like, I need to get new ones. And I'll, and I'll get a new body shaper while I'm there. I'll just go and, like, clean out the Spanx aisle. That's what I get to. That's, that's my power. <laughs> um, and... What I ended up doing is not kind of not paying attention. I think I was texting you at the time and doing other stuff, not really focusing. And what I ended up doing was getting these, uh, what do they call, they look like the shorts that those weird bicyclists wear on the weekend. That's what I have under this dress. (laughs) They go like from here to here, but then they're also kind of rolling down, but they've pushed a lot of my back fat up. (laughs) So I have, uh, I have back cleavage right now. Yeah. It feels woot woo great. Thank you. <laughs> but the uh, one thing that's saving me is, of course, this dress has pockets. Yeah. So you can't. Oh! Sorry. I tried to give you a flag oh. to put on your. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay, keep going. <sighs> Thanks. I just uh, let my back cleavage. Thank you. <laughs> the thing to do when you're really self-conscious about something backstage is, and then you get freaked out about it is to directly yep. point it out on, in front of an entire fucking... I wanted to say it before we said what's up Detroit, but Georgia was like, can you just hold on that for four minutes? Let me... Okay, we're going to start with back cleavage. Uh, can we go into that my boobs aren't big enough for this vintage dress? <laughs> and some like really... Gra- like some vintage woman... Old woman, I don't know. Woman from the past. Really filled this thing She's out. dead. She's, She's dead for sure. Okay. But here, here it is. A little bit like a clown, like a circus tent. 
I love it. it. I know, I love it too. I don't I know think why. It reminds me of Mary Tyler Moore. It's really good. <laughs> yes. Oh, I think you need to feature, though, the most important thing you've brought here to Detroit. Oh, my peeling sunburn? Yes. Thank you. It's in the peeling phase. The hotel, the lotion that they have at the hotel, my legs laughed at it and kicked it out of the room. They're oh. Like, this isn't going to do anything. Your sunburn bullied the lotion? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty. Tell them, tell them else, what else about our hotel. Oh. <laughs> This is real. <laughs> I actually, and this is how I found that, because I was like, what if I went to the gym? Oh. What if I did that? And I was like, you can't. I could. No one knows me here. <laughs> I could put my hair in a top knot and go to the fucking yeah. gym like one of those people. So I was like entertaining that idea. So I took out the little book. And I'm going through the amenities, and I'm not finding a gym. And at one point, I think they don't have one. I'm like, that's so fucking badass, Detroit. <laughs> Just to not offer a gym in any ways. It, it very... Take a walk around the block. Yeah. Live your fucking life. Um, as I'm <laughs> going through page by page, I find that this particular hotel offers a podcast studio. <laughs> We've hit peak hipster. What the fuck? <laughs> then I'm like, I'm going to call down to the front desk and be like, do you have to get a room to use the podcast studio? Yeah. Or could I roll in from the other side of town and just start my fucking dinosaur podcast if I wanted to? <laughs> like, what are the rules and regulations? How big is it? Is it, is it just a Zoom with a mic in the corner of like where the printer is? Like, what... Some guys on his compu- on the hotel computer while you're trying to podcast. Yeah. Sir. He's like, this is the business center. <laughs> Sorry. It's a podcast studio. Anyway, <laughs> Temptation Island this season is insane. Uh, should we sit down? <clears throat> Do you want to? Sure. We might as well. This is a nice chair. All right. Oh, it's cushy. Yeah. I might take this back to the podcast studio tonight. <laughs> what do you think they have there to sit on? Oh, bean bags. You know it's bean <laughs> loud, crunchy bean bags. Bean bags. Great for podcasting. Ooh. This uh, spank is really doing something here. I can feel it. I can feel it. Um, oh, do you want to talk? Do we still do that? Yeah. <laughs> um. Hey, what's up, balcony? We respect you. Shit. Glad I said that. Thank you. Thanks for being here and thanks for climbing all those stairs. <laughs> You're good people. <laughs> um, there's some of you in here tonight who have brought others. We'll just call them others <laughs> against I, their will. I think one of those people is probably Vince's sister's husband. Yeah. I can imagine. Your brother-in-law? That's, yes. <laughs> I'll do the family math on that one. Uh, yeah, there are people in this room, as, as many of us know, who have no idea what's going on right now. They're just like, well, there's two girls with flags who are proud of pockets. We don't know. We're not sure. <laughs> They're texting other people. What the fuck? How much money did they pay for this? Um, <laughs> 
And, you know, when you read it in the newspaper, we've had some misunderstandings in the past, by the way. Some of our favorites are um, people thinking it's a murder mystery play. It's not. It, no, it, it isn't. Um, the two old ladies, uh, or I don't know, middle-aged, I'm not sure <laughs> what their age was. Some women in Texas who thought that it, it was the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera. It, it kind of is. No, it is. Yeah. You're going to find out what happens tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they have a baby and they move to the suburbs. <laughs> he never takes that mask off. What if he takes the mask off and underneath... No, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> he takes the mask off and both of our dresses are underneath <laughs> it. Um, so anyway, it's a true crime comedy podcast. And for people who don't listen to the podcast and don't know us or, or know our personalities, some people get very offended by that concept because murder, that there's one of them. Um, <laughs> murder is the worst thing that can happen to a human being or a human being's family. And comedy doesn't seem to have any place in that. But if you listen to the podcast, you know that those things actually run parallel to each other because... Uh, that's the way George and I interact with each other, but we also love to talk about this horror show of our world um, in the in the area of true crime. So essentially, all I'm trying to say is, if you find that concept offensive, you can get the fuck out right now. <laughs> Give us a chance, brother-in-law. Give us a chance. Walk out in 20 minutes. Yes. Pretend you're going to get a beer. Go hang out with Vince <laughs> backstage. I respect that if you Irish could buy us during the show. <laughs> I would love it. That's my whole jam. Yeah. Leaving places inappropriately. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um, do you go first or do I go first? I believe it's me. I think so too. But we just have to get these flags just right. Yeah. There Look we at go. this. I know. It's fancy. It's like a race car uh, <laughs> control. That, we had that shipped in from the 80s. <laughs> Okay. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. The story I'm going to tell everybody tonight happened a long, 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 long time ago. It's the murder in the Rattle Run Methodist Church. What did you guys do? (laughs) Never heard of it. Not one fucking person has heard of it. And there's a bunch of pissed off Methodists in here right now. They're just like, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. I mean, when are they not, though? Let's be honest. I don't know a single Methodist Oh, you gotta meet Methodists. They're hilarious. Is it down here? All right. Okay. So this is where we're talking about. Is this a... Where is it on the... I don't know. I don't do the mitten thing. It's none of my business. I'm from California. It looks like this. <laughs> we Pon- did Pontiac's over here somewhere. All right. Anyhow. We, the, we, city, the city rattle run. Rattle run? Yeah. Okay. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It doesn't exist anymore. Okay, great. It was really just a t- very tiny town. Okay. Um, but there is, there is an unincorporated community in the western part of St. Clair Township called Rattle Run. All 6,423 <laughs> citizens of St. Clair are here tonight. Let's yeah. hear it for the township of St. Clair. I actually looked on St. Clair's website. Oh, they have a website? They sure do. It's great. All the pictures are from a Christmas party they had at some point. (gasps) Oh, my God. And then there was a picture of their Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus. And that, it looked so much like the real Santa Claus that I started going, that would be amazing if the real Santa Claus just (laughs) lived in Michigan. (laughs) No one would ever catch him. He looks like everybody else. It's the last place. you. (laughs) He looks like everybody else in that room where they took the picture yeah is amazing i was just like this is like i can't figure out if this is a mystery comedy movie i'm gonna write or a historical biopic either way get ready (laughs) get ready what am i talking about i hate going first okay you really got to kick it open 
Uh, Rattle Run is listed in Alan Naldrett's book, Lost Towns of Eastern Michigan. Mm. There's a whole fucking book? Jesus, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Lose your towns all the time. So many towns lost in this state. It's tragic. When it's like, when it's here, it's like, is it, but I don't know if it's up here or it's here. It just kind of, it floats. Yeah. It floats away. It's a pity. To the UP. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone carpool here from the UP tonight? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Did anyone bring us any venison from the UP? <laughs> I like to do uh, local jokes. Local jokes get you local work. That's the old saying in stand-up comedy. Thank you. Heading up to the UP after this <laughs> to do a week at some casino. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm really starting now, I swear to God. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> Keep going. Rattle Run was given their first post office, or their only post office, in 1876. It closed in 1907. Okay. Wait, it opened in 1976? No, it sure didn't. It closed in 1907. Girl, 1876. Okay. Got it. Did I say 19? Probably not. Okay. I, I heard it, though. <laughs> you heard it. That's right. So they couldn't handle a post office. <laughs> Something to take into consideration as I tell you this story. Two years later, after the post office was officially taken away from them by the government, <laughs> what did stay open was the Rattle Run Methodist Church. Oh. Looks like a church. Looks like Amityville Horror. <laughs> uh. The church. The church. <laughs> this church was presided over by the Right Reverend John H. Carmichael. Let's see if I did this in the right order. There he is. Oh, is he on a dollar bill? Oh God, is like each. It looks like a. Oh, it's a playing card. You know how they have the Methodists like to have playing cards of all their reverends. <laughs> so you can of all your favorite reverends around, so you can gamble East, with them. Eastern Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> They're great for gambling. <laughs> It's called Lost Cities of Eastern Michigan <laughs> Card Game. That was a bad improvisation. All right. <laughs> the Reverend Carmichael moved from Nebraska to St. Clair County in 1899. And after he moves there, he does so well in the community that um, 10 years later, by 1906, he's the pastor at three nearby Methodist churches. Are you allowed to do that? In glorious bastard style. Three. Oh. Methodist churches. I guess so. He was like a, it was like his car dealership, but God. <laughs> they, the churches were in Rattle Run, Adair, and China. <laughs> Did someone just stab that girl in the leg? <laughs> She's the China's proudest citizen. <laughs> Biggest communist. Okay. <laughs> the Reverend John Carmichael lives in Adair with his wife and their three children. Yeah. Adair? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> there she is. There Mrs. she is. John H. Carmichael. Doesn't have a first name. <laughs> That's how they did it back then. It's actually John is her first name. <laughs> For real. John John? John. They called her Johnny, and then him. Reverend. The Rev. 
Reverend Run. Okay. So, let's get down to this. <laughs> On the morning of January 5th, 1909, the 56-year-old Reverend Carmichael tells his wife, John, that he has to... <laughs> He has to go down to the church in Rattle Run to arrange some revival services. Mm-hmm. So he's got, you know, buckets of water. <laughs> well, I don't Reviving know. Reviving people. <laughs> a bucket of water. He's waterboarding people at the church. Why? That seems against God. Um, she watches her husband ride away from their home in his horse and buggy, and she has no idea that she will never see him again. And perhaps even more frightening, she has no idea that she does not have a first name. Okay. (laughs) Cut to a couple hours later. A guy named Myron Brown is waiting in the cold outside. So that church that you saw is actually sitting at a crossroads in the creepiest way possible. (laughs) It's in the corner of this plot of land, and then Rattle Run Road is here, and then some other road I can't remember the name of is over here. Sure. And there's a guy standing there waiting to meet the devil, I would imagine, which is what you do at a crossroads. He's waiting and waiting and waiting, but it's freezing cold. Again, it's January. So he decides he's going to go into the church and warm up while he waits. Uh, And as he approaches the church... Um, he sees that the, both church doors are just kind of flapping open. Mm-mm. And he's like, that's weird. That's and, creepy. And feels creepy. Yeah. Remember the church picture. Um, <laughs> oh, I should say this. Um, Billy Jensen, our friend Billy Jensen, is the person who suggested this murder. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but I got most of the really good information on a website called Kevin McQueen Stories. K-E-V-E-N McQueen Stories. This person wrote out this story, and I was like, it's going to be so hard not to steal every line for it. It's so well written. And and the whole website, Kevin McQueen Stories, is like weird, old, historical, creepy shit. Nice. So definitely go there and check it out. Um, okay. So uh, this man, Myron Brown, is waiting uh, at, the, at the crossroads to try to play the guitar better vis-a-vis the devil. And um, so he goes inside. I said that part all right. Oh, other versions of this uh, story say that it's the church caretaker who walked up on the church and found it. I like that one better. Uh, what if we say Myron Brown was the caretaker okay. and we just combine every story like right. some web- websites do? Okay. Okay. Um, either way, we'll never know. Like Mrs. Carmichael's first name. We'll never know <laughs> what really happened. Okay. So he goes inside and uh, he he sees that most of the church is covered in blood. Oh, no. Yes. Wait, is it always like that? Or no, 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 no. No, I've you. never been in a Methodist church oh, before. Oh, yeah. I should have explained this to you. These aren't blood sacrifice people okay. at all. Fuck, that's creepy as shit. Yeah. Um, so it's splattered everywhere. There's a bloody trail of footsteps up the aisle. Don't follow them. Don't, don't go up there. <laughs> Toward the pulpit. Um, the church organ had been 
splintered from what looked like repeated blows from an axe. Um, There were also pools of blood in the back behind all the pews. And um, there were wood-burning stoves in the back of the church, and then there was one to the uh, house left of the pulpit in the front of the church. Uh And if you're a theater person, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And... um, and there's a terrible smell. Yeah, I bet. Right? Both, both uh, wood-burning stoves are lit. Oh, and, no. And burning. I know what's going to happen. Poor Myron. He's standing there like, yeah. what? I just um, wanted to learn to play the guitar. Yeah. That's all I... And then the devil walked in and was like, what the fuck? This sucks. <laughs> I would never do this. Even I think this is too much. Especially for Methodists. Okay. <laughs> So Myron sends for Sheriff Wagoncell, who is in Port Huron. Um, you guys have the best sheriffs. Um, how did he send for him? We're not sure. Um, it is four hours away walking. Okay. Um, so I imagine that he flagged down a very small child and said, you have to go do it. Yeah. Stop bailing hay or mm-hmm. whatever manual labor job you have, eight-year-old, right. and go run to Port Huron <laughs> and get the sheriff. Then run back and continue and then bailing six more hours on that job. <laughs> uh, someone's got to get cornbread on the table or whatever they used to eat in 1909. Um, okay. I also wrote maybe he attached a message to a falcon's foot. Okay. What? I waste so much time when I'm supposed to be actually telling the... That's why I never know what the date is or how to pronounce fucking anything, because I'm like, what is this? Uh, Okay. Either way, the sheriff comes. Okay. At some point. That's what Sheriff Wagoncell was like. He would show up. So they begin to investigate the scene. And they follow what are very bizarre and seemingly misshapen footprints up that aisle and to that wood-burning stove that's burning. They throw some water in on the fire, and the first thing they find is a hatchet head with no, the, um, like, arm of the hatchet is burned, Mm -hmm. but the hatchet head is in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they find a big old piece of human skull. Fuck. As well as... As well as... As well as part of a torso, a jawbone, <gasps> some false teeth, and a stick pin. Oh, no. This is in a church, inside a church. <laughs> there is um, another part of the torso and other parts of the body in that back wood-burning stove. Um, now, the sheriff's told that the right reverend, John H. Carmichael, I am calling him that. I don't know if that's what you're supposed to call him, but it's, I think I heard it somewhere. So okay. I'm calling him the right reverend. Um, he's nowhere to be found. And uh, both the caretaker or Myron and the sheriff are really afraid that, that that's who is in these fires. And yes. Right? What? It is, right? Well, okay. Um, so... The caretaker notices that all the oil lamps in the church, they had normally been kind of low. And recently the reverend had told him, you need to fill up all these oil lamps, which he had done in the past, in the recent past, like in the last couple days. And um, he looks around and sees 
that they're once again really low. And they realize that whoever was in there took all the oil lamp, oil in the oil lamps, threw it on the fire what? so that they could actually cremate the body parts that were in each. So this, it was someone who knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, they also bail out, <laughs> for some reason this creeps me out the most. They bail out the well that's in the front of the church to see if they can find any clues. That means they drained it, right? They, yeah. Can you drain a well? No, you got, you, and then you just pull that bucket up like 500 it. times. They got the kid when he came back right. from Port Huron. They were like, here's job number two. <laughs> Do you want an apple for Christmas or not? <laughs> they didn't find any clues in there, but there was a girl in a nightgown with long black hair <laughs> waiting, just waiting. They left her. They left her. It was fine. Okay, so, of course, murder inside a church is a huge story, not to mention the added detail of this well-known and very well-respected reverend who's now missing and possibly dead. It's all over the newspapers. There's a $500 reward put up to find the reverend. Um, and <clears throat> the next day, the citizens of Adair... Is that what you're supposed to say? Mm. <laughs> they don't even know! Someone in the front row just goes, I don't know. <laughs> It really is just like a conversation between the two of us, isn't it? Uh, those citizens notice that Reverend Carmichael is not the only person missing. Uh, another local man named Gideon Browning also cannot be located. Mm -mm. Browning is known as a carpenter, a sailor, and a roustabout. Oh, dear. Uh-huh. He's Who, super fun. Right? Yeah. He could climb up things, and he wears a very blousey shirt. <laughs> um... The reverend had recently hired him to do some carpentry and remodeling inside the church, and so now everyone's like, it's suspect number one. Um, so when police go to talk to the Browning family, they find out that, uh, from Browning's nephew, that he had overheard Reverend Carmichael promise Gideon Browning another job, uh, one where he wouldn't have to do anything but, quote, stand around and smoke cigars. And uh, they find out from the reverend's daughter that actually what that means is her father had written a manuscript for a book called The Devil and His Works. And he, he decided he was going to have Gideon Browning be his book agent. I'm not, I'm not buying it. I mean, <laughs> it seems odd. Yeah. Um, roused about carpenter. Sure. High-powered book agent. <laughs> in Port Huron. Um, <laughs> Now, here's the fun surprise when they go to talk to the Reverend John H. Carmichael's wife. Uh, she tells them, or they get it out of her, it's a dirty book. <gasps> it's body and lusty. Oh, my God. And dirty. The re the per the, what is it? The perfect Reverend? What was he called? The, the right, right Reverend. reverend the right Reverend. Is wrong. He is damn wrong. <laughs> so they talk to Carmichael's wife. I wrote Jane Doe Carmichael, who complains... <laughs> That her husband uh, has written actually a couple what she calls trashy novels. And she told the um, sheriff, I saw some of his manuscripts once, a few sheets. I don't remember what they said, but I felt called on him to tell him that he should not, not write such things. She loved it. She fucking loved it. She the old prune. It. Okay. <laughs> now... Several witnesses come forward and tell the sheriff they saw Gideon Browning in the Reverend's company at the train depot the morning of the murders. 
Um, so apparently, Gideon Browning boarded the train to Port Huron and then came back later that day, but he didn't take the train home to Adair. He instead got off at Hickey. Oh, you know, Hickey. Oh, you got to. Um, <laughs> and he inquired of two men which way to the Rattle Run Church while he was there, telling each of them that he had an appointment to meet someone there. I've got an appointment. I'll you know when you're asking directions, yeah. so you tell the people exactly what you're doing in the place that you're asking directions to? Mm-hmm. Do you know the way to the gas station? I'm going to go ahead and get some unleaded. Probably $30 <laughs> worth. I'm going to want to buy Snickers. This time I'm not going to do it. <laughs> People just walk away from your car. Um, so at this point, I don't know how this actually happened chronologically, but I would put it here if it was a movie, so I'm going to now. <laughs> Someone had the presence of mind to show the stick pin to Mrs. Browning Uh-oh. and ask her if she recognized it, and she did. That was her husband's stick pin, and her husband had false teeth. It was her husband in the wood burning stove. It was stove. Gideon, not it was the Gideon right Reverend Browning. And now everyone's like, the fucking Reverend did it. <laughs> and then someone says, well, that would make sense because the Reverend um, has something wrong with his gait, like his oh. leg. And when he walks, one of his feet turns out. So that's why the path up to the wood burning stove, the, the steps looked all fucked up. So he didn't think this thing out at all. No. He didn't go get his fake wooden foot and <laughs> walk it along like a cane like I would have. Okay. Um, so suddenly instead of getting a brown and killing the reverend, the sheriff realizes, okay, I, I wrote that twice. The next day they find the minister's horse tied to a tree in Pine River, 20 miles from the church and on the way to the Grand Trunk Tunnel Depot. Um, like, like an abandoned car, but eating grass <laughs> instead. <laughs> so the police interview a ticketing agent at the depot, and he tells them that a bearded man in a large fur coat mm. had bought a ticket to Chicago at 5 a.m. on Wednesday morning, but when they show that agent a picture of the reverend, he can't positively identify him. But now the story is out. I think, I don't know if this picture order is right. Oh, that's Gideon Browning and his wife. Okay. Hi. Roused about and his side piece. <laughs> you can tell what a big fucking deal it was to get your picture taken back yeah. then. Oh, if I could only tell them about selfies. I think it's there. Oh, okay. Here we go. Oh, wait, don't read that. <laughs> In the newspaper, they actually drew the crime scene. I love this picture so much. You probably... Balcony, can you see this? It's... (laughs) They're like, you mean the little black lines on the white square? They basically showed the path of the footsteps going up the aisle toward the pulpit and up at top left is where the wood-burning stove is. Obviously, this is the church. And then there's the haunted well. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see, mate. Ooh, that those are the. That's a picture of the blood stains behind the pews. Uh-uh. Yes. That's fucked up. It's fucked up. Let's see what this is. Okay. Oh, that's the crossroads. <laughs> that was. I was supposed to put that earlier. <laughs> Got it. This is hurting my neck. Can I tell you? Can I tell you something? <laughs> 
You know why? Because when I was in the hotel earlier, I took a shower and I wrapped my head in the towel, my wet hair, and the towel was so heavy, I creaked my neck. Because <laughs> I'm a hundred. So let's... We might need to start taking pills of some kind. <laughs> okay, don't look at that. That's, okay. Okay. Sorry. Now, where the fuck is that... I missed one. Oh, wait, it's back here. Hold on. You told us not to look at it. I know. Now you get to look at it. You get to look at it now? Yay! So the press goes fucking batshit when they find out that the reverend is the person missing. And they're basically suggesting that it's a blood sacrifice. That all the things that we were joking about earlier, they put in the paper like, this could be it, guys. Yeah. You might want to check your neighbors. I bet it is. Um, Dude. I mean. (laughs) Horse clue. Oh, the story's out. Reports. (laughs) Guys, stay with me. Reports start coming in from all over saying the Reverend has been seen in Indiana, Chicago, and Wisconsin. But none of those were verified. So sorry, none were verified. (laughs) And that's when Mrs. Carmichael reveals to the press that her husband's sister was an inmate in the West Virginia Insane Asylum. What? Now, did she tell that to the press, or was the press lurking under her window one night? Like, that doesn't seem like something anyone would share. Did she tell the cops, right? Oh, that says she told the press. Yeah, but I wrote that, and you know that's (laughs) not true if it's from me. Okay. Um... Basically, it's just seeding doubt. The press is seeding doubt in the entire community that the the uh, reverend of three major major Methodist churches in the area, who, they don't know who this guy is. Um, okay, so on Saturday, January 9th, a man checks into a boarding house in Carthage, Illinois. Um, it's a woman named Miranda Hughes's boarding house. Oh, sure. So apparently, if you marry a reverend, you disappear. But if you run a boarding house, they know your first and fucking last name, and it'll be in every newspaper. Just if anyone's thinking of career change. Um, so the man gives the name John Elder, saying that he's in town because he's planning to build a woodworking factory nearby. And on the morning of January 11th, um, Miranda offers to make... Uh, this man breakfast. He says, no, thank you. He goes upstairs. He writes one letter to the sheriff, um, and one, uh, which is 10 pages long, and then a letter to his wife. Um, he goes back downstairs and, um, he tells Miranda that he's going into the woodworking area, but what he does actually is go out into her shed, take out a pocket knife, and slit his throat. Fuck. The problem is, it's January, the wound isn't bad enough for him to die from immediately, so he lays there and then dies of exposure. Oh, man. Again, let's plan ahead. Um, So, now, this is the craziest thing. When they get this confession letter, it's his version of everything. Um, And it does turn out that the uh, Reverend Carmichael did have some serious untreated mental illness because he believed that Gideon Browning had hypnotic control over him. He, in the letter, he describes how Gideon Browning kept showing up everywhere that he was and telling like, and lording over him and making him feel small and, 
and acting proud and all it's the weirdest like the way he writes it out there's one at one point he's out in the barn and he says that um browning showed up in the manure hole and began telling him that he had to do what he said so in this he says that that basically um gideon browning told him that he uh was going to get married that he was separated from his wife he wanted to get married Mm -hmm. and he was meeting the um reverend in the church and then when they met in the church um browning said i'm not he started laughing and said i'm not getting married and i control you um i have you under my hypnosis lift your arm and then in the letter he's saying and then I lifted my arm against my will and then put it back down and he's basically describing this man like kind of nonsensically doing all this crazy shit Um, so one of the quotes was when he set his eyes upon me in the queerest sort of look uh, something like the look of a snake's eyes I felt his influence tightening his grip on my mind Yay. so he's basically going through like what is probably a psychotic break but blaming it on Gideon Browning who's just the carpenter who's there to fix the church Ugh. essentially um, so on uh, so in the letter he also describes the attack um, and he says by this time, so he's basically after the hypnosis part, by this time I was so alarmed that I was in a cold sweat. I then leaned over to see if anyone might be on the road when he began to laugh again, and I saw that he was holding a weapon of some sort up his sleeve. How? Instantly, I made a grab for it and got the hatchet from him and asked him what he meant to do with it, and he said, I'll show you, and from his overcoat pocket he drew out a knife in each hand. Samurai style. Oh, shit. Fuck, this is some samurai shit. This has turned into a fucking Quentin Tarantino movie yeah. all of a sudden. This is Kill the Revlin Bill Carmichael. <laughs> he came at me, striking with both hands while I backed across the church, down the side aisle and across the front, but I did not dare turn about to open the door. Then I threw the hatchet and struck him, and he fell. Just in one... One. Shit. Um, uh, then I uh, then I turned to open the door when he grabbed me by the leg and threw me down where my hands came upon the hatchet. There was a desperate struggle in which I used the hatchet until he laid quiet. I cannot tell all what happened after that. I was wild to dispose of the body. I was in a horrible terror, so I began pulling off his garments that I might drag the body away somewhere and hide it. Then when my eyes fell upon one of those knives, I flew into a rage and began to cut him. When And then he woke and grabbed me. <gasps> then for a while, I used that hatchet until I was sure he was dead. E. So, anyway... Uh, when the police... So, so obviously, Miranda calls the police... They come and they look through his room and the reverend, uh, they find hypodermic needles in his belongings and they find needle marks on his arms. And apparently he's, uh, uh, among other things, and possibly this was part of the mental illness, he was a morphine addict. Mm. Um, so that could have been the hallucinatory idea of like, someone's controlling me and they're meeting me everywhere I go. For sure. Um, three days after Reverend Carmichael's suicide, four Detroit physicians performed an autopsy on his body and found that the preacher had suffered from several brain abnormalities. Gideon Browning's widow, who lived in Auburn, New York, stated for the record that her husband had no occult powers and had not been studying hypnotism. Yeah, right. Of course that's what she'd say. Of course she'd say that. Uh, 
she's you got saw a, her. She's got a first name and everything. <laughs> you saw her in that dress? Yeah. The New York Times found the case interesting enough to note editorially that it is impossible to hypnotize someone against his will. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just so people knew. <laughs> and impossible to make a hypnotized, hypnotized person do something that he would not ordinarily do. Um, the Rattle Run Methodist Church, the wood burning, oh, at the Rattle Run Methodist Church, the wood burning stove was replaced. You gotta hope. Right? <laughs> and the pews were replaced and the walls were redecorated, is the <laughs> word they used. Let's give it a new theme and make it a little cheerier in <laughs> here, cause. I don't, flower, like wall, flower wallpaper? Anything. Anything but blood. <laughs> we'll go more of a blue. Um, but then, and we can get back to this picture. Mm, 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 oh no, mm, da, da, mm, it's horrible. Mm, 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 there, mm -hmm. 28 years later, they knocked down that church yeah. because everybody stopped going to it. <laughs> A lot of people blamed uh, Polish Lutheran farmers for moving into the area and taking away that Methodist business. But we all know it was the Unitarians, come on. <laughs> And that, I'm so sorry to tell you, is the story of the Rattle Run Methodist Church murder. Amazing. The Reverend did it! I thought the Reverend was going to end up like having stolen his identity and later dayed out of town, hoping that they would think he's, I don't know. I planned write it more it. than he did. Please write it down. I will. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Um, all right. Okay. Here we go. Oh, thank you. Don't. There, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing the. I thought that was my last that's one. That's okay. I'm doing the murder of Tina Bigger. Here, <laughs> let me show her to you. This is Tina. Sweet baby angel. Okay. 1995, everyone. Uh, Tina Bigger, she's 23 years old. She's an honor student majoring in psychology at Oakland University. The screaming... Banshees. Right. That's right. Um, it's, it's in a suburb outside of Detroit called Farmington. 
<laughs> or Farmington Hills. I couldn't figure... They're saying no. Farmington. Okay, great. What about Farmington Meadows? <laughs> no, we hate that one. Uh, That's where the mall is. And I got a lot of information from Forens- a Forensic Files episode, a City Confidential episode. Mm. Just fucking love that thing. In the sleepy bird oh my of God. Farmington. I think I deleted how they explained what Farmington was, but it was the mo- It was like, if Detroit is an angry car zipping through the, you know, speeding, yes. then Farmington is a vintage bicycle ride. Like, it was seriously the most insane the thing, and I don't know why I Nothing took it better. Out. City Confidential is, Truly. like, number one. That's right. Okay, so um, mom, mom. so she's the eldest of five, and she's born in South Dakota to a military family. Her dad is a Coast Guard commander, her mother's a nurse, and of course the family moves around a ton, because that's what happens when you're in the Coast Guard, apparently. <laughs> mm. I've never done it. I don't know. Um, but she's super close with her family, of course. That's what happens. And everyone says she's a, her siblings say she's a great big sister. Um, and so she goes to Oakland University for psychology. She lives with her boyfriend, Todd, in an upscale apartment in, in Farmington. Upscale neighborhood. Who cares? Uh, I mean, okay. Um, so they'd been there for a few years before they moved in together, and he helped her get a part-time job as a waitress um, to put herself through school at Rochester Chop House, which is like an <laughs> after-party there. <laughs> um, she's super popular waitress. She they they say she always earns the highest tips because people like her immediately. It, it, she, they, that she could wait on anybody, and they would not just like her, but the restaurant too, and they'd keep coming back for it. Oh. Um, and so she's paying her way through school, but money is tight. She maxes out her credit cards. Shit's rough. Todd is a student at the University of Michigan. He and Tina, we're not doing this today, guys. I have to hear it in my own home all the time. He and Tina, he and hey, T- Tina. Huh? What did you say? He and Tina. Todd and Tina. He. Oh, God, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. I thought you were saying what the name of the mascot was. Oh, no. I skipped that one. Do you want to do it? <laughs> no. The Fighting Farmingtons? Great. Great. <laughs> so, he, so Todd and Tina, they're on again, off again for, um, for years. Friends say they're affectionate, but their relationship is tumultuous. Um, and the year before, it's Tina's fall semester of her junior year in September 1994, Tina had gotten this crazy big opportunity at her college, only eight students got it, to assist her psychology professor in a research project that was about AIDS awareness. Um, it was funded by the CDC, and the whole point was to interview sex workers who worked on the street and those who were um, then incarcerated. So. Uh, at a detention center near Detroit. So basically, um, they would go in, they would interview the sex workers and find out their knowledge about STD and AIDS, and then they would track them afterwards and see and, and follow up on the retention of their information, etc. Um, she friends say that she got really like committed to the, the um, investigation or the project, and that she became close with the sex workers. She was just like a kind person who who really enjoyed her work. So she then proposes. Her honors project of her own entitled Survey of Sexual History and Health Practices Among Women Employed as Escorts. So she wanted to go from the sex workers who worked on the street to like actual escorts and see what was this fucking story. Um, 
but her school her school professors were like, we're not going to send you out there to do that. Huh. That's a no. Uh, okay, so here, there's where we are, etc. On August 23rd, 1995, Todd leaves for work that morning. He leaves Tina at home asleep, but when he gets home, she's gone. Um, but all of her, her car's gone, but all of her personal belongings are gone, including her glasses, which she needs to see, obviously. I mean... So Todd, so Todd's wondering where the hell she is. She, he, where could she be? He calls the chop house and is like, "Yo, is Tina there?" And and they're like, "What are you talking about? She quit four months earlier." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And he's like, "What are you talking about? She washes and iron irons her waitress outfit all the time. Oh man, and goes to work every day. Maybe not every day, but all the time. What the fuck? This is weird." So. Todd waits for her. She doesn't come home. And then he calls Tina's father, Bill, who comes into town to help look for Tina. Um, they do some digging of their own. It's weird. They call the police. And um, police discover that, to- that, that Tina had been planning to move out of the apartment with Todd at, that they shared. So that made them suspicious of him. But spoiler alert, it wasn't him. Okay. Police, um, police also learned that Tina had found evidence recently that Todd had cheated on her when he discovered the worst of all things, a suggestive greeting card in his drawer <laughs> with the most unimaginative affair in the world. <laughs> back, back when you just wanted to go ahead and put it down on paper that yeah. you were cheating. Not on paper. You want to go into a fucking Hallmark. Go to the, the, I'm having an affair aisle. Yeah, really. What's the one behind the beads? Right. <laughs> Back in the corner. Yeah. The adult cards. That's right. Actually, I'm having a recovered memory of walking home from school one time, and we found a bunch of, um, well, it was like garbage in a ditch. Um, and we loved garbage. Oh. We were like little raccoons. <laughs> and we would just go through that garbage but one of the things I saw laying there was <laughs> so stupid. It was basically a guy in a bathtub, and it was like, I use dial soap because dial spelled backwards means happiness. What? Which is laid, like getting laid. Oh. And I didn't know that term because I was like eight, so I was like racking my brain. <laughs> I was just like... What could this be? It was, I was so, I was titillated to a point, and then I just couldn't go any further. Wow. Well, you're not supposed to understand dad jokes at eight, I yeah. think. At greeting card jokes. Oy vey. So I'm, I'm slightly, sorry. Tina found the evidence that Todd was having the affair? Tina had okay. found that evidence, like, in the past year, and so they were planning on moving. She was going to move out. They were still going to date. Um, but then she didn't come home. So, uh... And people said that Todd and Tina fought all the time, blah, blah, blah. There's, you're supposed to be suspicious that he did it, but I already told you he didn't. Yeah. Um, We're past that part in, just, in City Confidential. Right. Yes. I mean, clearly I wrote this. Okay. So Todd is baffled. He doesn't understand where the hell she went. So he starts searching the apartment for clues, and he finds a duffel bag he's never seen before. Opens that fucking shit up, and inside are condoms, thigh-high stockings, lingerie, lube, credit card slips, and envelopes addressed to the LA Escort Service with the name Crystal. 
on the upper corner. And so he calls the escort service. They're like, we don't know anyone named Tina Bigger, but we do know who Crystal is. And it turns out that it's Tina. He's like, we have, we actually have six crystals here. <laughs> crystal C or crystal R? <laughs> crystal B or D or L? Crystal with two Y's or crystal with one crystal Y? Crystal with L, with three Y's? Everyone hairs on crystal, so we don't know <laughs> which crystal is which. It's the 90s. Everyone's on crystal. Okay. So, fucking shit, it turns out that way back when she was like, uh, when she was interviewing the sex workers that were locked up, they were like, honey, you're so hot, and since you're smart, you'd be really good in this business. And she was like, you know, probably curious, but then, so it's so hard to tell exactly what happened, obviously, because she can't tell it herself, but um, she had eventually, uh, in late 1994, begun working at the Gross Point Escort Service called Classical Elegance, with a rose at the end of it. With a tiny crystal at the bottom, (laughs) just like, in case you weren't sure what it was, just the name Crystal was listed at the bottom. And listen, for you little babies, there was no internet, there was no Craigslist back then, and escort services that you found, like, in the paper, right, were really the way that you would discreetly meet up with someone. It was like the free weekly paper, Yeah, and there would be like... Do you want pot? You have to sign up for a right. a, me, a medical trial yeah. and be injected with weird drugs. And everyone's like, "We know that's a cop. It's yeah. like a sting. We're for not real. falling for it." So, um, so then business was slow at Classical Elegance with a crystal. So she went to L.A. Dreams and another, which is like L.A. Dreams. That's so sad. If you've been there, you know that it's not a good dream. It's all that dream is traffic yeah. and rejection. Yeah. Dream it's on. mostly like Inland Empire nightmares. <laughs> Dream on. <laughs> and the other one was called Calendar Girls, which is a little better. That's uh, for the really old ladies. <laughs> I saw that movie. All those ladies were 75. <laughs> and so those two were run by two different sisters. Their name was Debbie and Donna. I'm not going to say their last name because whatever. We don't want to. These are good women. I mean it. I'm not being. Okay. Let me tell you why. Okay. okay. Because. So. Uh, Stop being so defensive. Why am I telling the story ahead of time constantly? So Tina, w- Tina became an es- a really popular escort there. She, as, she booked as many as 50 appointments between May and August. Uh, at one point, she earned as much as $250 per appointment, which in today's money is actually $430. Oh, wow. Which inflation, man, that shit's crazy. Um, to her bosses, of course... Donna, our friends Donna and Debbie, they were, they said that she was anomaly because of her wholesome appearance and modest dress. You know, she's just a college student trying to make some extra money. Um, and when they asked her why she became an escort, Tina said, Todd, this is my way of paying him back without him knowing it. Oh, I know. <laughs> just break up. Okay. <laughs> Despite her success, though, she, it, school's her top priority. She's still getting great grades and doing really well in school. And she goes home all the time to visit her family. So she, no one has any idea of her, her life like that until she disappears. So then, uh, when looking into what the fuck's going on, they find out that two weeks before her disappearance on August 11th, 1995, Tina had booked an appointment through L.A. Dreams with a dude, a 42-year-old dude named Ken uh, Tranchita. And he says he's a wealthy businessman. Sure. Uh, I think I have a photo of him. Here he is. 
right. Okay. Was that Rob Riggle? <laughs> That's who's going to play him. <laughs> um, do you know his cousin was my Uber driver in Hawaii? Oh, Rob Riggle's uh-huh. cousin? <laughs> Very weird. Did you say prove it? Text him right now, prove it. <laughs> I didn't. Um, okay, so this dude, Ken, uh, he, like Tina, he was raised a devout Catholic from a large family, but now he's a drifter and a petty con who can't get his shit together. Between menial jobs, he sponges off his relatives. His stepfather said about him, and this is what you want your stepfather to say about you, he was a great con man. He made everyone feel sorry for him. Uh, Stepdads. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he had grown up in Southfield, and between 1981, where nobody lives anymore, and between 1981 and 1993, he had been convicted of at least seven petty offenses, ranging from credit card theft to parole violation, and in total had spent five years and five months in prison. On again, off again, relationship with prison. With prison. Yeah. So he's, of course, not a wealthy businessman, like Tina thinks, but he's um, currently working at a car wash where not many wealthy businessmen work. But at least they have that great theme song. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Records from the escort services reveal that he had requested Tina's services many times in the first two weeks of meeting. Um, Their first meeting takes place at the Bluebird Motel, which I'm sure is... Great. Super nice. Five Super star. Five stars. Five star. Um, Twelve days before her disappearance. So he, when he meets her, he tells her that she's the most beautiful woman in the world, and then she calls up the escort service. He calls up the escort service and is like, I bought her a ring. Like, he's already obsessed with her. Okay. So according to him, they, uh, they started to meet after that, that first session without the agency knowing, and she stops charging him as if they're like in love. But that's what he fucking says, and I don't buy it for a minute. She's like, it's a thing of like when you're nice to someone who's crazy and they think that that you, means they're in love with you. Right. Really, you're paying them to be nice to you, literally. Yeah. Yes. It's just crazy. Um, he says that they're planning on moving into a new apartment together and that uh, they find a love letter from Ken and Tina's personal items. It reads, Dear Tina, my heart is yours for you to keep. Your love will lift me off my feet. Oh, wait, wait this is going to be a rhyming one? <laughs> That's what you think. And oh. then this next line comes oh. and blows it out of the water. You came to me. Your love is so willing. I know it's worth all our waiting. So no. No. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. Um, so police go to Ken's apartment and they notice the name Crystal on some artwork on the fridge and they find out that a local car dealer said he saw Tina with Ken and they were looking at cars together right before her disappearance and Ken had said he was going to help her uh, and give her like 11 grand for a new car. So that's, and then they were, ended up fighting at the car dealership a couple days before she disappeared. So up until that point, she may have really believed he was a rich businessman, yeah. like he said. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So for two and a half weeks after Tina's disappearance, Todd um, and Tina, Todd, her ex, her boyfriend, and Tina's dad, Bill, they search for her. Um, and from phone bills, it's clear that she was deeply involved with escort services. And um, let's see. So then Bill, the dad, Mr. Coast Guard, he calls Debbie of the Calendar Girls, one of the sisters, and he's like, I need your help. And 
even though they were risking incriminating themselves, both sisters were like, fuck it, yes, we'll help you. You know, they cared for Tina. So um, they, they give him, like, all the information about Ken and shit. Uh, and so it, it seems like Ken had dropped out of sight at this time, by, but uh, on August 31st, he leaves a message with Debbie, who now is fucking looking for him. And the, uh, it's traced to a bowling alley where in Farmington Hills, police find him. Uh, they question him on and off for nine hours, and he denies any knowledge of her disappearance. He says that he drove her to the airport for a flight to Ohio, where she was meeting a client. Oh. But... <laughs> So many people want to cheer for Ohio, and they know they know it's inappropriate. Just do it. <laughs> oh, and then people hate Ohio. You guys. You know what's really weird about this and the, the University of Michigan melee is that when you don't give a shit about sports or college, you don't know what the fuck people you are don't cheering know about. It's just noises. Yeah. Why are you mad at them? <laughs> it's just a college. You guys be friends. Yeah. And we're all just trying to get an education over here. Um, uh, okay. I didn't know, you know, the, the team for Los Angeles, the football team that were just in the... The Rams? I didn't know where they were from when they were... <laughs> I asked Vince, oh, and where are they from? Oh, oh God. Los Angeles. Yes. I need to try to give a shit once in a while. <laughs> they questioned him for nine hours. He denies any dis- knowledge. He says he flew her to... He, he drove her to the flight. Here's her fucking car keys in his pocket. Because he says that she left her car with him for safekeeping while she was away in Ohio. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Every one of every single one. Green flags. Um, So police get her car, find her car. They search through it. Uh, the, the trunk's like full of, you know, you're a college student, you just throw shit in the trunk. They don't know. Uh, there's nothing to be seen here, officer. Um, and they find paperwork and, uh, of the escort, from the escort service and they find out that she had had contact with people that are living out of the state and out of the country. So they're like, well, maybe she did fuck in later days somewhere. But, um, police use cadaver dogs to search the area near Ken's home. They can't find anything. And so they have to release Ken from custody. So fucking Bill Bigger, the dad, is such a badass motherfucker. He is so pissed off. He goes to the, the, his friend, Ken's friend's trailer where he's staying and questions him throughout the night relentlessly. The fucking dude who's suspected of killing his daughter. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. This guy's a badass. But, uh, he, there, to no avail. Although they say at one point he had to go in the other room and throw up because he was so freaked out about talking about it. How fucking annoying. Okay. A couple of weeks later, no other leads. Police are like, you know what? Let's look through that car a little bit more. Like, let's move something to one side and look underneath things, which they hadn't. Okay. What they thought were coffee stains. It's not coffee stains. Let me look. Let me look and show you. There is a, that's not coffee. Oh no. That, that spilled coffee in her trunk, it's blood. And they pick up the fucking mat and it's a pool of her blood in the back of, in the trunk of her car. And it, DNA confirms that it belongs to Tina. So, uh, and it, because of the amount of blood, police upgrade the case from a missing person to a homicide. 
Ken's a prime suspect, obviously, but he's fucking gotten out of there. And um, then a month after Tina's disappearance, uh, the cops get a tip. And it, it had been cold. It, like, they had no idea where she was. Ken's own fucking brother suggests that the police search a deserted home once owned by their aunt in Southfield. Oh, I think I have a photo of it. No, I don't. <laughs> Just picture the, the Methodist church, but with less windows. <laughs> For real? It's like, like super, creepy. yeah, abandoned creepy style. He's like, go, go look over there. Um, and so they did, and the, the apart, the house is just 10 miles from Tina's apartment, and there they find the badly decomposed body of a young woman in the woods behind the house, and of course, dental records show that it's Tina. Um, but because of the rate of decomposition, they can't tell the exact cause of death, but they do know that it, it uh, whatever it was started in her neck, so they think it's strangulation. Um, so meanwhile, they're like, oh shit, we need to find Ken. So he spotted, in our, so in Forensic Files, they call it a rundown neighborhood in downtown Detroit, which I'm guessing now is like really nice and some of you probably live there. <laughs> so it's, on, it's called the Cass Corridor, is that right? And then, I, and then they showed what the apartment building where he was, and <laughs> I could tell it's a nice neighborhood because there was a Whole Foods there. Yeah. I looked on the map. <laughs> And it's in the Nottingham apartment. So if you live in there, congratulations. It used to be a terrible neighborhood. Um, as police close in on him, Ken does like a bullshit attempt at killing himself. He slits his wrist and takes some pills, but he thankfully survives. Um, and after hours of interrogation, he says that he and Tina had had an argument about money and they struggled and uh, the old fucking bullshit, she fell and hit her head story. But the x-rays uh, to Tina's head show no sign of any trauma at all. So they're like, you're fucking lying. So he, then he confesses that um, he said, he fucking said, Tina was just so miserable in those last days that I decided, that I made a decision to end it for her and no. put her out of her misery. No. Yeah. He accepts a plea bargain and pleads guilty to second-degree murder. And, of course, Tina's family don't want to accept that, but they also don't want what you guys know would fucking happen if they go to trial, which is that the defense attorney would, you know, make... would Make it seem like a relationship or something. No, would make it seem like Tina, like slut-shame Tina, basically. Oh, and, like, oh, yeah. drag out all the shit she's, like, been going through. Right. And her parents didn't want that to happen to her. So they accepted, begrudgingly, the plea bargain. And... um at a, at a sentencing trial, this is him. Um, he says to the fucking family, I miss Tina just like you guys do. Yeah. Prosecutors believe that when Tina found out that Ken had lied to her about having money, they fought and Ken strangled her. So um, on September 27th, a funeral is held for Tina in Acme, Michigan. Her casket is carried to the church by six white-gloved Coast Guardsmen. Um, and so after, uh, let's see, he's found guilty. Ken's found guilty, of course. Two weeks after his sentencing, our friends Debbie and Donna of Calendar Girls and shit. LA Dreams. LA Dreams and Calendar Girls. They're fucking arrested for solicitation. So they knew that if they said, yes, we'll help you, and, and you know, admitted that they did this, that's possible it's going to happen, and they did it anyways, mm. which is pretty insane. Yeah. They're sentenced to probation, and they say they have no re regrets about cooperating. 
they, she, Debbie said, for the sake of the bigger family, I would do everything all over again. Yeah. Um, Tina's father, Bill, refused to concede publicly that Tina was doing anything other than research. He, and he said, my daughter is not on trial here. This is about the son of a bitch who killed her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ken sentenced to the maximum penalty in Michigan, which is life in prison, where he still is today. Yes, good. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Jesus. I know. It's so frustrating. It feels like it was like 50 years ago. Yeah. In that, in that way where it's just like... Archaic. There's so much to risk if, you, if you're a sex worker and yeah. then somebody actually yeah. fucking hurts you. Yeah. It's insane. Ridiculous. Um, it's time for a hometown, hometown murder. Hey. Thank you. Hey. Yeah. I really... what you told remember the party stores we found out that party stores, party stores. are it where you buy mylar balloons you guys want to hit a party store after this <laughs> yeah get a, few, get a couple few 40s <laughs> all right okay thanks all right uh you guys have to listen to these rules it's really important that Ooh. you listen to the rules I... because the rules have been made for a reason <laughs> We're just trying to get good stories up here that we can all enjoy in a sober and <laughs> cleanly told manner. We don't want you to embarrass yourself or your family. And we don't want to be bored. <laughs> Who does, really, yeah. at the end of the day? Truly. Keep it tight. Don't be so drunk you can't tell your own story. <laughs> um, uh, keep it local. Michigan, oh, yeah. definitely. Michigan. Detroit, ideally. Somewhere on here. Who, yeah, keep it in the mitten, please. Um, and also, I guess that's Everyone it. hates you, I think, is the other one. Okay, should I do it? Yeah, do it, and do it quick. Okay, can I get light? And don't just do, don't do the wine thing, don't do whatever's I'm, flashing in front of you. Just feel something you with it. your heart. I, you can do it. Oh. You got can it. Can I get the lights? Uh, uh, this is so scary. It's, it's harder than it looks. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come over this this away. Yeah, you have to walk this away. Co around the front. One and two. Faster. <laughs> it's very scary doing that, guys. <laughs> Hi. Tara. Hey guys, it's Tara. Over here. Tara. Tara, where are you from? OMG. Where are you from? I'm from the West Side in Muskegon. Oh. <laughs> What's your hometown? Okay. Um, so about 20 years ago, I worked in a factory. And um, where's the factory? In Grand Haven, Michigan. What did you guys make at that factory? Yeah, we... <laughs> plastic parts for the car industry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, the you. one that goes under the hood? We appreciate it. <laughs> so, I worked in this factory, and uh, I went to work one night, and a co-worker who was close in age to me didn't show up for work. 
So the next night, we worked third shift. So the next night, um, I got up. I was late for work. I saw something on the news about a murder. Mm-mm. And, but I didn't pay attention because I was late for work. So I go to work and everyone is very upset. And I don't know why until they tell me. And it's very upsetting because I knew this person. What was their name? April. Yeah. What was really sad is her mom worked there as well. She was the manager. Okay. So, anyways, that night, (laughs) it was very upsetting because we did find out that April was murdered. And what happened was, She was murdered. It was Thanksgiving time, and she was at her boy. She went to her boyfriend's for Thanksgiving dinner, and her boyfriend's brother, for whatever reason, decided to murder his family. Oh Oh my god! And he murdered his brother, his mother, his father, April. And his grandfather and his and her mother, because she didn't show up to work, they called her as an emergency contact, and she she went to the scene oh. and interrupted the murderer, Seth Pravaki, <clears throat> while they were trying to whatever they were doing, they were trying to hide the bodies, whatever they were panicking, anyways. Seth Parvaki was caught, and he was convicted, along with his son. And then, I believe in 2015, he attempted to escape the prison that he was in, and he was shot and killed. And that's my hometown. Thank you, darling. Tara, Tara. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what it's like. Fuck, man. That's the reality of these fucking stories. And this reality of life. Really fucking horrible things happen to people. And they're people. They're, it's the people around us. It's the people that you look at every single day. Everybody has a story. Maybe not as fucking awful as that story, but everybody has a fucking awful story. And it's a very good thing to keep in mind when you're going out into the world. Because it's very easy to think everybody has your story instead of a story like that. So what's beautiful about this community and the things that you guys are doing with each other is that you're all coming together with this empathy and this understanding 
about the worst, shittiest parts of life and how the only thing that can help us through those things are each other. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, you can drink and you can get high and you can do a bunch of other shit, but at the end of the day, you're still going to have to deal with the horrible stuff. And so it's very, very amazing. We just got together because we wanted to talk about things that we were like, holy fucking shit, can you believe that happened? And it made us feel better with our anxiety by telling someone else that story that kept us up at night. Right. But then out of that grew this thing where all these people wanted to listen and feel those feelings and empathize and emote because that's really what it's all about. That's just really what it's all about at the end of the day. Thank you guys for creating this fucking incredible community. We're so honored to be a part of it, to be up here on stage. You guys are incredible. And I just have one more thing. Sorry. I found out today that a comedian that I love very much died. Um, uh, Brody Stevens died. And what's amazing... It, it's terrible. I've known him for a really long time. Um, he really, really suffered with his mental illness. and But he also fought with it. And he also was in it with it constantly. If you go home and watch his comedy, he's really miraculously hilarious. Like comedy that is coming from a place that like is, is somewhere else. And he, part of the reason he can do what he does on stage is because he has that mental illness. It's part of the personality and he made it kind of work for him. And that's also, a, that's a big part of art. Is It's not about being perfect, it's about being incredibly fucked up. Um, and so, I was texting with my friends, who know him also and love him also, and one of my friends told me that Brody Stevens' grandfather used to run the Fox Theater. So, crazy. We miss you, Brody. You are one of a kind. Um, sorry, I just wanted to say that because it seemed very fateful that that would be uh, what was going on tonight. Um, anyway, we love you guys, and we're thrilled to be here with you. Thank you just so thrilled. much, you guys. Thank you. This is the. Uh, this really is the pinnacle of of comedy performance for me anyway coming up as a stand-up shows like this I never thought I was going to be able to do them so the fact that you've given me this gift and giving us both this gift we'll never be able to thank you enough no nope, never to do us a suspect <laughs> do us a favor and stay saved <laughs> I'm just kidding stay sexy and don't thanks Detroit 